the Brooklyn Combine on this episode, we have been honored and um, fortunate and blessed to be with the great Jamel Shabazz. Um, and we're gonna have we're gonna chop it up, and we're gonna have a conversation. We have these conversations every time we see each other, so this is kind of odd for us. But um, how you doing, Mr. Shabazz? I'm doing great, brother. You know, I'm I'm honored to be here with you, brothers, and have an opportunity to just lend my voice in this very uh, critical time in, in in the history of not only America but the world. Um, and I'm just a uh, uh, um, one who's been given an assignment early on in my life to contribute in the preservation of our history and culture. Mm-hmm. I'm a student of life with a sincere desire to see uh, justice, you know, for our people in this country. You know, mm-hmm. I'm a descendant of, of a slave and I am a recipient of the black arts movement. And I'm just striving to the very best of my ability to uh, ho- uphold the honor of our ancestors through my craft. Yo, Chuck, run a power move on him. say something to you to give you a true knowledge of yourself and life so that the same glory and success attained by other men who understand themselves may be yours. Man in the full knowledge of himself is a superb and supreme creature of creation. When man becomes possessor of the knowledge of himself, he becomes master of his environment, the captain of his own ship, the director of his own destiny, the accomplisher of his own ends. Brown v. Board of Education and why, you know, what was happening socially? Why people were resisting having their children ed- educated with our children. But when they saw they would be forced to do it, all right, we will figure out something with that. What they weren't willing to do, they weren't willing to have their children taught by mm. black teachers. So our amount of teachers went from 100,000 to about 42,000. Mm. We lost black educators because of our advances mm in the society, and we've never recovered from that. So now when you send these teachers to the schools, you have a, a generation of kids, starting with, you know, with my generation, definitely, who I could count the amount of black teachers that I've had. That matters. We, so our curriculum, our education, helps you create your default system, your cultural system, mm. and it's poison. You know, and, and, and that's why you have prison to school, school to prison mm. pipeline. That's why you have all these things. And until we embrace that part, you, we're gonna have more of the same. Because what's the, what's the antithesis of that? You have these, you have, like Jamel, you ever meet these white people? I mean, black people who are black, but they're doing their best impression of being a successful white person? Mm. That's, that's a disease. And we don't talk about that. And you see these guys, excuse me, you know, and you're like, why are you right. talking like that? Right. Like we, what happened? Mm. And it, it shows you the level of degradation that's happened to us. Because that's su- quote unquote successful mm. black guys. And, and it starts with our education and, and our ecosystem. It has to be an effort to control and protect and preserve our, our, our ecosystem. And until that happens, we're going to keep getting picked off. But it ain't it ain't over, as Amiri Baraka said. It ain't right. over, you know. 
And that's why we out here talking to yeah. Brother Sebastian. <laughs> well, I appreciate you so much, brother. I appreciate y'all. Seriously. It, it's a lot of work that got to be done out there. I like to end um, a lot of my conversations um, saying, you know, the harvest is ripe, but the labor is a few. And there's a lot of work that got to be done mm -hmm. out here. And it's really coming upon our generation to uphold that torchlight because we got the end. It's, it's really on us now. I mean, I'm almost 60 right now. Mm -hmm. And, um, When's I, your birthday? Uh, July, July 13th. You know, yeah, I'm the 17th. Okay, all right, so we, you know that, <laughs> so you know. <laughs> so uh, I'm just, I see it going on, and I think that's what really woke me up when I was 15 years old, because I was a studying this. I was taking in so much early on, going to the library, looking at all the wars that were going on around the world and what was going on in this country, learning about not only COINTEL, but the Phoenix program. So at a very early age, I knew that something was happening. And one of the things that Elijah Muhammad said that's really stayed with me early on was study things in distant places because soon to be at your front door. Hmm. So a lot of the things that were transpiring in terms of a revolution around the world of poverty and injustice, police brutality, military occupation, you know, and assassination, genocide. Mm -hmm. I was taking that in at 15 years old. And then mm -hmm. after reading an autobiography of Malcolm X, I was given direction on what I needed to do. And I came into consciousness early on. And all I wanted to do was save our people. And as I call it, sound the alarm. I want to wake people up. Again, the harvest is ripe, but the labor is a few. We got to get to work out here. Because at that time, the gangs were flourishing. And a lot of brothers were being killed. We talking about back in 74, 75, 76. The black exploitation movies gave me some of the of a broader understanding, despite what popular people might believe, popular belief about them being exploitative, you know, uh, you know, exploited. It was something about uh, three the hard way that resonated. Mm. The Black Gestapo, mm. you know, hell up in Harlem, mm -hmm. Gordon's War. Mm -hmm. They kind of like fed me to, to further try to like, you know, get involved in this fight and wake people at the same time. But it's been a lonely journey. But I've been trying to sound along forever about what was going on out here. Even with the crack epidemic, when I first came off the Army in 80, I saw something bad was going on. It's just a climate. That now let me ask you were, you, were you hearing about what happened on the streets when you was away? Oh, yeah. You was I, hearing about it. I was getting letters from home, and they were telling me that, you know, Mustafa got murdered, this one got killed. Uh, early on, my partners get 25 to life. I mean, I had brothers I grew up with at 16, 15 years old that were getting hit with life. Mm. Some of them just coming home right now. So I was getting word in Germany. So as I'm hearing about this here, I'm just striving now to say, I got to get back home and do what I can to save my people. So I said, first, I got to educate myself, get right. And I came home with a clear mission to try to save our people because something, something drastically went wrong, despite the fact that we were the product of the Roots generation. Because it's something about Roots in 77. When that came on, it caused a revolution. Mm -hmm. And we came into deep consciousness. And it was a really great time of, of awareness. Brothers and sisters started to change their name. We changed our dress. We became more inclined to want to know more about our culture behind Roots. And then within a short time period, the blackout happened. Yeah, and I remember that. That time period, I went in the military. That was my birthday, July 13, 77. I needed to turn 17 before I went into the military. And it seemed like once I turned 17 and went away, everything just fell. Because with the blackout, people started to rob. They started to get all this materialism. And then the hatred developed again. It seemed like roots never even came on. That's how we became divided. I have one memory of the black. I was living on um, McDonough and Bainbridge. Mm. And I remember coming outside the next morning. And it was like a sea of brothers knocking on doors, mm -hmm. selling stuff. And I and I remember the back out that like it was no lights on in, in the crib and like I remember that clear. I was five, wow. but I remember it clearly. You know, I remember my mother was running 
to get us home mm. and she snatched me up on the bus and we was on the bus because it was it was going down like on Broadway uh, at that time. It was a turning point because we were really getting together. It was something about even dealing with the science of numbers, 77. It was a year. It was like the year for us of consciousness. And we were like really elevated. But once the blackout came, you know, then the envy, the jealousy, mm-hmm. the greed, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the division came about because now you have people might have robbed the jewelry store and this mm-hmm. one might have mm-hmm. robbed the eyeglass store. Now this person's wearing jewelry. Now you want what he got. Mm-hmm. Then you might have hit up a store and you got guns and now guns are on the street again. And then the violence ensued. And then, and, and, and then the, what we what we strove so hard to get early on was now gone. And luckily for me, I went away. You know, because my 17th birthday was very important to me because I needed to turn 17 to go in the military. My parents had divorced. I was going astray. Mm-hmm. And I felt that the military was the best route to save me. And it was a really good choice, despite the, the, knowing that the war had just ended in Vietnam. And my father was against it. But it was the best thing to happen because you, it allowed you, me to get away. You wasn't, and, and we've known you for a, a long time. Even before we got to know you intimately, we, we've watched who you were. Did you were you concerned that going to Vietnam was like from a, from a political standpoint? Did you have any reservations of what was going on there at that time? It, it's, it's interesting that I was very naive at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, the war had just ended, but I remember you know I had studied extensively through images. It was something about the war in Vietnam that really grabbed me. So I knew it was real because mm-hmm. I remember vividly at seven years old when the first person Frank. Uh, uh, Sam White got killed in Vietnam in Red Hook Projects, and it was a big thing. When mm. Two military personnel came to know the father's mother he had died. I vividly remember the Life magazine that showed the weeks killed in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. I knew that a lot of blacks were, were were being sent to war. You know, I understood the draft, but it was and but despite that, and I'll never forget a memory that haunted me for many years. It was a brother outside of a train station, me and my partner Lamel, that we we joined together. Uh, I'll never forget this brother had no legs, and he was crying and begging. He said, whatever you do, don't go into the military. Look what they did to me. Mm-hmm. So we knew that the reality of war was there, but whatever reason, we felt that we had a better chance in the army than we had on the streets, the streets. of Brooklyn because people were dying, going to prison. So we felt that this was our way out. Mm-hmm. Uh, both our parents had divorced. So we just took a chance. But chance. it hit me hard when I got into to, in, in the military. Like almost immediately, I, was, I encountered racism. You know what I mean? I saw now that the military represented a microcosm of society where you got all these different people from different cities coming together as one. You you were the motivation for me listening and 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 to the Vietnam tapes. Wow. Of the brothers in Vietnam. Yeah. And guess he's coming home. Guess yes. That was one of the most powerful things that I've actually uh listened to in the last year or so because it was it it was it was it was it, was, it almost was it almost was like looking at your publications mm. in a in a sense because what was striking to me was the diversity in brothers you had brothers from new york arkansas alabama that's right um and then also our our our, lang- our language at the time and our voice like it was almost melodic mm. how 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 these young brothers were talking and then you realize that yo these were kids that's right 1819 discussing politics on a world level um on a on on a local level wherever they was from and it was it was incredible to hear that and and it also reinforced what like imagine that these young brothers were risking their lives but they were in 
uh, a situation where they were fighting the very people who they were supposed to be protecting. And that was, to me, was incredible. Like, those tapes to me, like, if anyone has not seen, listened to those tapes, you should listen to those Vietnam tapes. Because yeah. they, they, they were really incredible. And, and um, I always wondered, like, how was it for you when you got there? Did you have mentorship when you were there? In a sense, I, I, I did. And I was very lucky, you know, to have gotten a brother, you know, who... who didn't smoke, he didn't drink, he was focused with drugs is everywhere. One thing about Vietnam. Uh, being in the military, well, I wasn't in Vietnam, I went, yeah. in, I went in 77. After okay, oh yeah, afterwards, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, but w- what I saw, you know, it, it was very interesting when I got to Germany, because I've seen things, you know, my, my third eye is open, and one of the things I vividly remember seeing, this when I said, this is very real right here, you go in the mess hall, and there's a long line of people waiting to go inside the mess hall to eat. And I saw this brother who had who had came home from Vietnam. He, he he was still in the army, and he he uh he was he, he was off duty, and he had on a Black Panther jacket, and it was the, the Black Panther the animal, and uh, and had the white rabbit hanging in his mouth, and it said Vietnam 1972 to 1975, and he was giving another brother dap in front of the mess hall, and I'll never forget that. Like wow, this is deep right here. Mm-hmm. Black Panther, beaming red eyes, white rabbit hanging his mouth with blood dripping to the side, giving another brother dap, you know, and it's the first time I saw that before and I realized this is very real right here. And uh, that let me know the seriousness of what I got myself involved in. Peace to the gods, peace to the earth, peace to the people of the universe. Brand new, you can't be working like this. You see each and every day. During the first couple months, brothers were dying off of heroin. They was getting pure heroin from probably the Russians have infiltrated the bases. Mm-hmm. They were trying to destabilize the spirit of the backbone of the military fight machine. So drugs were abundance, you know what I mean, everywhere. So luckily for me, I met a brother in another unit that recognized me from being in New York. That was a big thing, where you from? So he knew I was from New York. He, you know, we started building with each other. And he was alienated for whatever reason. He was an outcast. He was somewhat of a bully, but he was an outcast. And I started to hang out with him. I left brothers from my unit, and I would go to his unit and roll with him. And this is a brother that, that was a photographer. He read. Uh, he, like myself, he went in at 17 years old to escape the streets of Staten Island. So he was very disciplined. And that saved me. If mm. I didn't have him in my life, I would have felt victim. Of course, the peer pressure was so strong to do drugs mm-hmm. because everything is there. People don't realize that in Europe, it's like a nine to five job. You know, you work during the day, you get off, and then the drugs is there. Yeah. And uh, when I got there, everybody was getting high, and uh, it's just easy to fall victim. There. And I did early on, and luckily I got my balance through him. So he became my mentor, and he inspired me to read and go to the library and pick up photography even more. And that really saved me. If it wasn't for that brother, I would have been gone. Because 
all the vices was there. If you didn't weren't getting high, there was alcohol. So it was a cross between uh, using drugs and the peer pressure. You just couldn't. If, if you didn't do it, you you were like an outcast. So you su you submitted to that. But luckily for me, I had him, and eventually I got transferred to a unit that allowed me to be by myself, and that's why I got deep into the study. So that was really the only mentor I had. And that's a very good point you made because the fact that I didn't really have mentorship, it created a lot of division amongst a lot of the soldiers. So I got more, as I got time on the job, I realized I needed to be a mentor. Mm -hmm. So as the new brothers would come in, you know, from the states, mm -hmm. I would mentor them because mm -hmm. I felt that we needed it, and that was a void that we didn't even have. Even the older brothers, they weren't mentoring us that we needed that because we really needed that guidance. But they were getting high, mm -hmm. so there was really no guidance, and it was a really bad time in the military because again, the drugs were running rampant, and there was no there was no safety net. It's like where are the elder brothers at, mm -hmm. and a lot of the high ranking uh, non commissioned officers. You know, they were, a lot of them were Southern because a lot of Southerners went in the military. Mm -hmm. And there was a division between Northerners and Southerners. They didn't really like us. Mm -hmm. And then there was a gang element in the military. And I kind of like fell victim to that where the New York, Philly, Jersey brothers got together. You know what that sounded like? Federal prison. Wow. In, in the prison. It yes. reminds me of that mentality. And it's very similar. Sim very similar. It's, it's a similar thing. There's, there's, it's, 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 it's there because many of us escaped the streets to go in the military. Mm -hmm. But we brought our habits with us. Mm -hmm. and, and I kind of gravitated towards a particular lifestyle. You know, mm -hmm. I, I, I took on... Because I felt like... I was you know looking at Malcolm. He went after the game bangers. Mm -hmm. So I went after... In the military, I went after the brothers that were in gangs. I tried to get them and mentor them mm -hmm. and guide them. But a lot of held on to those feelings. And then I kind of like took on a particular persona. We became a crew. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't good. And, and it pained me. That's why I came home so inspired to bring about change. Because it was a missed opportunity. Because mm -hmm. in the military, you are with brothers from all over the country. And with the right mind, you can influence them. You can guide them. Mm -hmm. But uh, they gravitate towards you automatically because you're from New York. I was studying, so I had knowledge. I came in with consciousness. So I was teaching brothers. But it could have been more. Happy New Year, first of all. Uh, we have about a million or two million more of them. If we can get over the summer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll have to dedicate this one to uh, such a draggy scene that's going on. All the soldiers that are fighting in Chicago and Milwaukee and New York. Oh, yes, and all the soldiers fighting in Vietnam. We'll have to do a thing called Machine Gun. Machine Gun! Introduced to um, Islam, a five percent nation, before you went into the yes, military. Yes, I was way you before I was way before. Yeah. Um, you, you just said something that got my brain now percolating. You just said Malcolm was on a soapbox on the corners, reaching out to the brothers who was coming home or inclined to go into the gangs. Right. We know for a fact, as you mentioned, the Phoenix program and Cointel Pro those programs were focused 
on black males 15 to 35 mm. years old as the threat. And there's a book that we always reference called From the War on Poverty to the War on Crime mm. that speaks specifically to the programs and the policies that were going after us. So they knew the power. When you, when you look at me and Phil's generation and the rest of the brothers in the combine generation, Asen may be the oldest of us, and he's the elder of us in, 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 our, in our community, but the same thing. We had a little bit of the 5%. It was kind of dying out as we came of age because it had become almost a gang in a lot of regards from some of our perspectives, not all. But what I realized is there weren't any Malcolms anymore reaching out to our generations. You know who was reaching out to our generations? The entertainment. Mm. And that's where it is now. When you talk about the dudes... The dudes in your that you you those beautiful young men that you photographed over the years, um, those guys were kind of beaten or destroyed, killed, jailed, um, uh, broken. Now the equivalent of those guys, what has their attention is entertainment, mm. and and that's and that to me that's not a mistake. Right. That that's by design. Yeah. It was a distraction. Because one thing about us coming up back in the in, in the seventies, we consciousness changed us. It's like to me, it was tailor made for a lot of us. You know, you, you look at people like Arkbark, a champion. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm, and, and the mm-hmm. fact that this was a, a brother who was a a, a a major figurehead in the Tomahawks. Mm-hmm. When he got knowledge himself, he changed and he went on and took on the persona of a Malcolm, like to go on the street mm-hmm, corners mm-hmm. and engage people and a lot of the young people. Because it was interesting about him with the education of Sonny Carson, he became a star through that movie. It I gave him illumination. Mm-hmm. And young people gravitate towards, towards him because of his status. And despite his limited education, he was able to save so many lives. Mm-hmm. So he it was like a, a, a torchlight to many of us. And this is what we want to do. We actually, at 15, 16 years old, we want to save our people. Mm-hmm. And we realized early on that we had a purpose. And within our lessons, it, 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 it asked the question is raised, what is the duty of a civilized person? You know, so we had a duty, and we knew that duty early on. That's one of the first lessons that I that I that I, I gained in my search for knowledge and purpose. And my duty was to save our people. And we realized that we were blind, deaf, and dumb, and that we needed to get down, educate our people. You know, I had read a book before I went in the military by Eric C. Lincoln called "Black Muslims in America." And that really helped me to better understand the role that the nation of Islam had in trying to save our people. It spoke mm-hmm. about the membership going out and redeeming the pimps and the prostitutes. And I thought that was incredible that this teaching has the impact to take a pimp and transform his life and have him within, in, in rank and file, to take a sister that was downtrodden on drugs, a prostitute, and, and convert her into Islam and have her as an MGT. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to save our people because I saw what the Vietnam War was doing. I saw poverty because back in the days there was a lot of despair in our neighborhoods, of, mm-hmm. an abandonment, homelessness, and poverty. Mm-hmm. And I was really concerned, and I wanted to just do something. So Malcolm, for many of us, set the example early on for me. When I read his autobiography, you know, I said, you know, it was certain aspects of it that I saw myself in terms of my troubled past and then I came into a consciousness and all I want to do is sound the alarm and wake our people up and again it was my duty and then those that embraced the knowledge that's what we, we were all about it was just about that saving our people we had a love and we took on the attitude that I want for my brothers I want for myself early on and that meant something to me so when I saw another black man that was my brother and my success was your success so 15, 16 years old we aspired to wake our people up and Malcolm 
Clarence 13X, uh, Elijah Muhammad, and so many others kind of like set the template to how to go about it. We understood the importance of diet. So now in our interactions with our people, we spoke about the need to transform your diet, mm-hmm. the need to educate yourself, to go to the library, to be aware of what's going on. But the main thing, to know yourself, that we are not niggas, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? That we are brothers. So that was very important to, to my generation back then, to save the others. So I went after your generation. No, you did. And and to me, you know, it's, it's some similarities I share. Like, Malcolm's autobiography was one of the most inspiring things for me to become an attorney. But also, I look towards people like yourself, like, you know, because growing up at that time, in 72, I was born. So 80, I'm, I'm eight. Mm. I'm looking around wow. and you're speaking, you just bringing back all these memories because there's a, I don't think people understand the environment that we a lot of us were forced to grow up in. An eight-year-old kid in 1980 in Brooklyn is it's kind of scary mm. when you're walking around. But you seeing the older brothers like yourself, you know the strong ones from the weak ones. Because you seeing it was it, it was weird because you saw the brothers who were willing to take whatever they wanted to survive That's and right. get what they wanted. And some of them were bright, some of them were charismatic, and you're watching that. And then you're watching, for instance, in my building at the time, one of the buildings I lived in, I, I bounced all over mm. uh, Brownsville, uh, Bed-Stuy, Crown Heights. I lived in 750 Lefferts, and mm. the 750 Lefferts was between Schenectady and Troy. Wow. A lot of people don't know, MC Shan, mother, lived in that building with his brother. Mm. So he would be in that building a lot with the dudes. And the older dudes in that building, they would meet. And they were they were gods, and they would have these conversations, and I was intrigued because it was these dudes was rough, but then they had this intellectual capacity, and that was intriguing to me, and that was one of the things that you know besides coming from my mom and, and other aunts and people, where I, I saw that intelligence could be a tool, and I was watching it on the street, but then I also saw on the street brothers had to make certain choices. Mm. And not everyone had autonomous, free choice. Everybody likes to say, oh, all you had to do was work hard. Like, no, that's actually not it. There's other forces in play that are happening that impact that. And I remember as a kid walking through my neighborhood and seeing all these abandoned buildings and seeing these despair, seeing the people on heroin leaning when you go to school at eight and they still there when you come out at three. And in my mind... I had said to myself, I got to make it. Mm. I didn't know quite what that meant, but I knew that we were in some very difficult circumstances. And what concerns me now is that your generation passed that to us. We're kicking it to the generations behind us. But there's this thing that is interrupting the connection and we all embrace that thing and that's entertainment or the social media and it concerns me because me and you just was talking it's like what has to happen to to get that connection again you know it's it's, it's a deep scenario when you speak about that because back in the 80s you know we saw this thing going down and Again, I was trying to sound an alarm, and a lot of my peers, we, we looked at ourselves as saviors. Mm-hmm. You know, many of us came from the streets, and we knew that we had the ability to bring about change. We had a voice. A lot of brothers listened to us because of where we came from. You know, my enlightener, 
you know, was was a brother that was once a stick up kid and he had a, a very foul reputation. Mm-hmm. He went to spot for he changed his life. He came back to save the people. And, and and our thing back then was, you know, once you save another one, you know, your duty is to just save. Like the brother saved me. His name was the only thing I wanted in return, save other brothers. So it was a commitment that we had. that We passed on this baton that we had a responsibility. And then and we had good music that fed our mind. We mm-hmm. had television programs. We had Gil Noble. We had the Macquarie Report. Mm-hmm. We had television programs and radio Tony programs that fed us all the time. All Often it was always we had black news mm-hmm. newspapers. So we were very fortunate. A lot of um, New York was the mecca where a lot of speakers would come in, mm-hmm. and, and, and and you know we had the uh, the black arts movement. Not necessarily it was the uh, the Urasasa and and. Um, we had black theater. So it was a very interesting time in the early 80s. Mm-hmm. And then came crack. And then came AIDS. So we got that one-two punch that came. And things started to fall off. People started to fall victim to, to the drug epidemic. Uh, br- good brothers, you know, saw, especially brothers in my circle, they had the charisma. Mm-hmm. And they gravitated towards selling drugs. And they used that magnetic attraction to bring people in. And they start to fall, fall victim. The, the, the music started to change. But what came back, the rebirth was. One of the things that Minister Farrakhan did that was very important at that time, the Me and Man March. Mm-hmm. Because we had the killing, we had the drugs, we had mass incarceration, outright war on black people. But in 1995, matter of fact, before he even called for the Million Man March, it was rallies across America stopped the killing. Yeah, I remember. And it was a really big thing that was bringing people together. And it was a beautiful thing to go to these rallies and see brothers and sisters coming together, making commitments to change the neighborhood. I just recently re- revisited the Million Man March uh, that day and how it touched my life. And looking back at that footage and looking at the gangs and how we came back and we vowed not to use the word nigga anymore and we vowed to go back in our communities and change things it was a good time. good time and we came back you know uh, and, and a lot of brothers start to adopt children and we got proactive within the community and then they turned it up again it's, and it's funny you say <laughs> it's, it's so clear for us man like, like we just gotta stop for a moment and study but the music was important yeah because it's something Tony Rico said Tony said that you know the music was hope that's right brothers gonna work it out that's right um, I'm Ain't black no and I'm proud. Now. Ain't no stopping us now. And then it's funny because our generation, we came, you guys introduced us to hip hop. Mm. Hip hop was powerful. That's right. Um, and then it became just novelty. And I think we're in that weird space now where, you know, it was a time where hip hop was pushing those, those, ideologies and those things that you those very things that you're talking about and then it went away it became corny or it became oh that's you preaching yeah and it totally now is almost absent and it's it's almost as if you the the music and the entertainment industry it doesn't have space for those thinking radical young black men and women anymore you think that's part of what this is? Or oh, is that- no doubt about it. It, it. it played a major part because, you know, I, I came up during a time of, of protest music, you know, mm-hmm. and, and love songs. Mm-hmm. So that gave us a really good balance, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the 60s and 70s. And uh, I look at what Ken, Kenny Gamble and, 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 oh, and, Huff. and Huff did, you know, with Philadelphia Interna- International Records. Mm-hmm. And not only did they produce these phenomenal records, it was all about uplifting the community. Mm-hmm. And, and that fed us. Marvin Gaye, Curtis mm-hmm. Mayfield, uh, uh, The Last Poets, you know, we had all that back then. So we had a chance 
chance to, to gain great insight and knowledge. I mean, I gained so much from Gil Scott Heron. He introduced me to uh, Watergate, you know, mm-hmm. the politics, uh, Karen Silkwood and, and, and Angel Dust and a host of things. So we were fed that. And it fueled us. It was soul music that really fed our soul in so many different ways. And we have love songs where <laughs> people like Blue Magic, Black Ivory, the Spinners, the Ozzy Brothers, they taught us how to love women. Mm-hmm. It's through their songs oftentimes we learn how to interact because no one was telling it. No, but so, listen yeah. to a slow jam yeah. with your lady. It taught you how to love. Yep. And what I find today is that the music has been poisoned. Mm-hmm. And it now it's poisoning the mind where young people today don't know what love is. Mm-hmm. And it amazes me. I was at the Gordon Parks High School a few years ago and I spoke about love songs to a group of young people. They had no idea no what idea love what was. They never experienced love before. They were never told they were loved. They could not identify with love at all. And it pained me because we had that. And one of the things I did when I came home from the Army, I came home with a lot of music. I would bring a lot of brothers and sisters to my apartment. I had on my Real to Real, the Royers, mm-hmm. Phyllis Hyman, uh, George Duke, and I introduced mm-hmm. them to not only music but jazz and love songs. And it made a difference in their lives even to this very day so the music was the foundation that got us going and for for me early on with hip-hop i fell in love love with hip-hop before it was even called hip-hop for us young of gods we call it dropping science dropping brothers that studied their lessons they were able to get on the microphone and say things that were profound they used the microphone as a beat to drop science and one of the most prolific songs of our generation for the righteous was Love is the Message. Love, so that song that would come yeah, on. That's a, that's a great So when you have that breakdown, you know, we Craig would say... Craig G had a song called Dropping Science. Yeah. So it, so it was us that created it before it was hip-hop. It was called Dropping Science. Science. And for many of us, when Love is the Message would come, we'd be like, study your lessons, study your lessons. So that was like our national anthem. And it was a really good thing because it fueled us. got introduced to hip-hop really in Germany you know with rappers of light mm. I said okay this is deep mm-hmm. I like the beat mm-hmm. but something's missing because I started DJing a little bit I had my MC from from Brooklyn but he was using a lot of profanity and nursery rhymes I said and it bothered me <laughs> you know you know Donald Duck don't give a F and all that like okay divine <laughs> chill with that we have to use this as a tool to wake our people uh-huh. I got the beats but you have the voice. And as a collaboration, we could use this platform to educate our people. It was a good thing. And and and, and then it's to start to change. And, and, and brothers had the ability. I mm-hmm. know some of the baddest MCs was brothers that came from the nation. And they would drop them. Rakim, Rakim, Kane, Kane um, KRS. KRS, uh, 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 all of yeah. And then others that wouldn't flew. And it was popular back yeah. then, dropping science. Yep. You know what I mean? It was a really popular time period. And again, then crack came and changed everything and it started to poison but we became programmed. I'll never forget and I, I, I was able to catch this episode a few months ago with my wife and I remember as a young child watching a program called Get Smart. Oh yeah. And you had two organizations Chaos and Control Yeah. and you, the CIA and, mm-hmm. and, and the counterintelligence but one of the programs that I, the segments that I, that I watched it really stayed in my mind as a young kid when the organization Chaos 
came up with an idea to control the people through music. So they were in a laboratory making this music, this hypnotic music that they felt that they would play at a particular time and would put people in a trance and then they were able to, to, to in, in, uh, implement their agenda to brainwash society and control them through music. And that stayed with me as a young child and then it dawned on me that it was the music that was being used as a tool to brainwash our people into being niggas, yep. our women into being bitches, yep. or just get money, get money, get money. So the subliminal seduction became very real in the music, and that alarmed me early on. I became immediately alarmed. Now, I love hip-hop. I love the beat. But it's some of the messages that were being said, I started to see that they were programming our people. No, it's, it's, it's funny you say that. It's... um. Like I'm, his two instances this week where I, me and you were talking earlier about how I, I feel like you have to physically fast, but you have to mentally fast as well. And this week, when I was working on it, I had uh, I, I send uh, is a musicologist. He mm -hmm. creates these great playlists. So his playlist was in my mind. But then as I'm I'm moving through New York, I'm going to D.C. Department of Justice. This song that has no value to me, no importance, but it's popular right now. It's not even a song. It's a saying. It's a song out with, by some, I think he's a comedian. Um, I, I'm living my best life. I'm not going back and forth mm. with you niggas. Mm. Yes, 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 yes. And this song is in yeah. in my head. I don't like, I don't listen, I, but it's it goes to the messaging that what you said. And it's, it's, it's incredible how at this late stage in the game, those kinds of messages are still premium. And I don't know what has to take place for them not to be premium anymore. Um, because now we're inundated. The, the platforms are so much greater. You know, we, you know, we grew up at a time where people were worried about the number of records that they sold. Mm. But now it's, 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 it's beyond that now. You know, we, we're living in a, a streaming world where the message, things that you don't like or things that you know aren't good for you can get to you instantaneously. And you're forced to have to make a decision about it. You know, and 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 I think you're absolutely uh, correct. But it's something I want to ask you, and and you know, the combine. We think very highly of you. Um, you you are that. very you're in our in our opinion. Um, when you study black culture, you know you 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 got to study Gordon Parks. You got to study um, um, Dallas's father-in-law. Um, um, you got to study, you know, um, Nina Simone, like so many people to study. It's a lot of us to study. Um, you have to study your commitment and your work and what you've done. Um, forget, I don't know if people know your, your perspective. You, you know, a, a Brooklyn person uh, in, in the army, come home during a very tumultuous time, you worked in corrections. Right, people yes. don't even understand what, right. what you know. Corrections, we we ain't get to that part yet. Mm. But when I look at your work, it speaks to me of politics, mm. law, um, fashion, mm. music. One of the things I wanted to ask you is, how did you maintain your character and integrity without mainstream America coming for you and compromising your art and your vision? Because that's, that's not something easy to do. Many people, when you got to navigate through this world, 
that's not easy for a lot of people. Well, I had a, a desire to save our people and I wasn't going to compromise that for anything. You know, I, I had a, a clear purpose and I had examples in front of me, even though they had their own personal struggles like Gil Scott Heron, mm-hmm. Marvin Gaye, Curtis Mayfield. You know, they set the template for me in terms of what I need to do as an artist. Did I have to be speak truth to power regardless of whom or what? Mm-hmm. And I have to do that because my work was about saving people. It wasn't about gaining popularity and being famous. Mm-hmm. You know, my work for those that really understand it, when you look at it's really a visual diary of my life. Mm-hmm. That's what it's really about. These are situations which I've seen. The lot of the young men and women in my photographs I aspired to teach. So the photograph became evidence of the conversation. My work was about them. Mm. It was about creating work that was in a sense a form of visual medicine to help us heal, to help us remember who we are, because I look at myself as a reminder. And I couldn't compromise that. Now I've 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 dealt with certain ad campaigns mm-hmm. to to uh compensate, you know, uh, you know, to, to allow me to survive. Mm-hmm. But I maintain principles. Even what I just finished doing with Dapper Dan and, and Naomi Campbell. Uh, and Naomi Campbell, yeah. Yes, you know, yeah, I, have, I saw that was incredible. Yes, work. thank you. You know, I have Dapper Dan with books. You know, my thing is to to take these opportunities to show our people with honor and dignity, but I can't lose my soul. And 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 um I heard it was so incredible. Essence was trying to reach out to you to cover some things they have coming up. Yes, and I appreciate that, you know, but um, it's, I can't, it's not really about that with mm-hmm. me. I, I, when the opportunities come, I appreciate that, but mm-hmm. my work is saving our people mm-hmm. and using the language of art, this, this, this universal language that people can hear all over the world to, to create a situation to make people think and reflect. I love social media now because to me, I can curate my own shows mm-hmm. and plant seeds out there in the universe and, and, and create conversation to help with the healing process. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's about. You know, I'm not about, you know, uh, selling my soul for a book deal mm-hmm. and things of that nature. There's a lot of things I will not do. Mm-hmm. But now, again, through through Instagram and Facebook, I have a platform now where I can put my own content yeah. out there and no one can tell me what to do. And it's really about bringing people together and reminding them, you know. And it, it means so much now than ever before because it's about the people. I'm the people's photographer, period. Mm-hmm. That's what it's about. A lot of young people are reaching out to me saying, you have a picture of my father and I never met him because my mother was pregnant when he got murdered wow and so many young people are reaching out for answers because i might have caught that last photograph of a loved one so that's what it's about for me to help them with the healing process i have photographs of brothers that were murdered by people which i know so you might go on my feed and come upon a picture of a brother whose life you took mm. so that's what it's about helping again with the healing the trauma that we've gone through to 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 take a sister who might have fallen victim heavily to crack and now i have a photograph of her 30 years ago when she was at her best mm. And it help her with the healing process. When I hear the stories of young men or, or older men within my age group in Barnes and Noble breaking down, crying as they turn through the pages of my books, it allows me to know that I'm, I'm doing I'm doing my job. So my work is about the people. It's not about money. It's about revitalizing our community, helping us understand the impact that crack had on us. That's why a lot of my work is under the umbrella of a time before crack. Mm -hmm. I want people to know that there was a time before what we see now, a time before when we we were, uh, as we accept the word nigger and bitches and hoes Mm -hmm. and all that, there was a time when we were kings and queens, gods and earths, and then we we aspired to to be uh, saviors to our people. And I want people to see that. And when we look at the idea of the dress, brothers took great pride. You may not have had a lot, 
you might have just had a one pair of sneakers, but you took that toothbrush and you kept those sneakers clean. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you might have had a few pair of jeans, but you ironed them to look sharp at your best. You know, and I want people to see that, you know, uh, the pride that we had. So, again, my work is about the people and it's not about the corporations, even though I, I work with a few companies, but they allow me to have creative control. Yeah. So if, if I work with Adidas and they say that we want to exhibit your work in Japan and, and in Germany, I use it as an opportunity to bring my work and my communities different places and I and I, I share different narrative. People look, you know, so as I, I speak to people about it, I let, look beyond the sneakers, look beyond the fashion. I want you to know who this person was and what this picture means to me. So now I'm in a position as an artist to use corporate sponsorship to take my work to different countries and inspire the next generation to be photographers, but to also understand the plight of what happened to black America and who these people are and what crack did. So that has given me a great voice right now. And this voice is needed. And I look at those that came before me. I look at the impact of the work that Golden Parks had and Van Zee and Roy mm-hmm. DiCarava. I feel now as an artist, I have a responsibility. And I often speak about the impact that Harry Balafonte had on my life because mm-hmm. he reminded me of the role of the artist. Yeah. And I feel now for this generation, I have a very important role. And I, 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 I knew it early on when I picked up the camera. I knew that this was my compass that was going to guide me to help save our people. But I would never imagine in this critical day and time how urgent my work is right now because I have a platform and people are listening all over the world. So I put a lot of thought in my posts, especially on Instagram. You know, I take a mm-hmm. moment to reflect on what could I put on there to make a difference around the world, mm-hmm. to make a person think and reflect. I have the power to do that at my fingertips. So I put a lot a lot of uh, uh, thought in, in what I'm doing and it's making a difference. You, I feel the sense of satisfaction. It is, it is making a difference. You, uh, I mean, it's, that's not even a question uh, whether it's making a difference. It, you post Posted something the other day that really had me thinking. Mm. Um, you posted a picture that wasn't yours, but you asked uh, what people thought of it, and it was a uh, it was in a museum. It was in the, mm. the background was this very I don't know if it was Victorian or whatever age yes. it was, and it was a live two models in it a uh, one black mm. dancer and one white dancer, and it was one of the most thought provoking pictures that I've looked at. And and that was and and it's, your mind is incredible. Like you have a beautiful mind because it's like you didn't even. This is not a photograph you took, but your vision of how you see things mm. um, go beyond the photographs. And I can imagine, um, you know, because I've represented people who um, have an art, and I see what capitalism and America does. It's Everything is disposable in American capitalism. Pain, movements, dysfunction, despair, talent, it's all usable. And you have crafted something so unique in your vision that I'd imagine it's almost impossible the way you've constructed it for the corporations to just come along and manipulate Mm. what you've done. Because you've you've couched it and, and positioned it in such a place that it, it's almost like it's a shield around it. Mm. So you know, I I I'd imagine I know some of the corporations that are really intrigued and, and want to uh, you know partner with you. Um, I hope that the younger generation understands what you're saying because you just said a lot. You can manage your own. Um, brand from wherever your fingertips right 
And you think about the power of that because also me and you was discussing, we watch social media and you see people from the fingertips also put out straight mm. destruction. So there's, there's this battle that's, right. that's going on. Um, I'm really interested to see what you think the future is with the capability of what you can do from your fingertips and what's going on. Like, what does the future look like for the young Jamel Shabazz? It's, it's, it's a very difficult question to answer because I'm concerned. But at the same time, what I appreciate there's a whole new generation of visionaries now who mm -hmm. see the power of, cam of the camera mm -hmm. and they're using it to provoke thought. They're those who are studying what I'm doing now. So they realize it's beyond making images, but it's about being proactive in the street and using the camera to empower the people, to recognize the greatness of who people are. Even if they pattern themselves after me to engage people in conversation, to, to get to know them, mm -hmm. to tell them of their beauty, understanding uh, what they've gone through in terms of who they are and, and the self-hatred that we go through, but now, as visionaries, we can make the, the, the invisible visible and give them a sense of encouragement and, and give them a second win because oftentimes we feel neglected in society. So those who look at my photography and they see how I interact with people, now they say, you know what, I like his style. Let me pick up the camera, go in the community and empower people. And I'm amazed when I, when I speak to people about my process that so many young people are, are, are looking at us as a way of saying, I can do that. Because it's not easy when you go in different communities and you engage people who you don't know. Yeah. But I did it with a, with a determination because I want to wake our people up. Without the camera, I wouldn't really have a voice. I can still do it just on the strength. Mm -hmm. But having my camera and being able to interact with people and tell them that I recognize their greatness, it made a difference. So I have been very fortunate to plant seeds amongst the next generation of visionaries who now have someone who's the work they could look up and, and mirror. For me, it was the work of Gordon Parks, but it didn't really clearly give me a greater purpose. Until later on, I would read about Gordon's uh, 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 desire to save young people, to to use his camera as, as a way to, to, to show poverty and gang violence. But I created my own particular style because it was deeper than photography. It was about really sounding the alarm. So now it makes me feel good when people contact me on social media and tell me that I inspired them. You know, they want to do photography similar minds and community work because they realize that it's deeper than photography. Again, the, the photographs that I capture is just evidence of the conversation. So I feel good to know that a lot of young people now are looking at my work and they're drawing inspiration and they're trying to capture the dignity because we have to counterbalance the negativity. Mm -hmm. And there's so much of it out there. When I look at, and I have, I have to say this right here, this past year and a half has been like my strongest years on record because I vowed that with Trump in power I have to use this platform to counterbalance what he's doing because mm -hmm. I know that his administration and his followers are dealing with white supremacy and, and, our, and our destructions of people so that gave me the motivation to say you know what I got to get out there and fight I mm -hmm. cannot sit back when all this is going down so I have to use social, me social media as my, as my street corner now mm -hmm. to get out there and tap into the street corners around the world with imagery and, 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 and situations that will make people think like the image that you spoke about of, of the, the, the two ballerinas, mm -hmm. you know, I learned early on, I was going to college that the, that the, the role that images play in brainwashing people. And I said, I have to provoke thought. I have to use this platform to plant a seat out there to create conversations. And to my surprise, 
the posting of that photograph on on Facebook created a lot of conversation beyond what I, I, I could ever in. imagine. <laughs> you and so many, and you said profound things. Mm-hmm. So I'm striving to do that to help people better understand the images do matter. And you have to see with your third eye what people are doing to kind of like undermine us. And we have to develop a resistance. So what I'm striving to do now is create a resistance of visionaries who are using the platform not only photography, but the arts in general. You, you posted one of, uh, you you photographed to me one of the most powerful images in our history, mm. particularly related to the American uh, legal system. And I know you know the image. Yes. There's an image of a brother who looks like he's getting escorted either to court or back to the jails. And he's holding black robes, white justice by Judge Bruce Wright. Yes. Now, it's something that Bruce Wright at the time when he was out, when you speak to people, let's show you how powerful he was. Tony Rico was his law clerk at one point. Mm. Bruce Wright was like a, a like a, a superstar, brilliant mind. The system ostracized him and labeled him let him loose Bruce because of his opinions of the legal system mm. and what was going on and his proactive behavior and they 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 kind of they kind of tried to neuter him and put him away from criminal and civil courts. Fast forward, and now this image, if you ever see this image, those of who, who are listening, there's an image, the brother's holding the book as he's walking, wherever he's going to be an escorted. Fast forward some, I would imagine that image is, that picture is what, maybe 20, at least 25 years. About 95, 97. 95, all right. Years later, Judge Bruce Wright is gone. He's left us. However, that picture and how you captured it really personifies his intelligence and what he was about because what do we live in now? Now we live in mm. this, we have to reform what? The criminal justice system. That's right. There needs to be bail reform. Mm. We shouldn't be sending people to jail. What Bruce Wright was saying 25, 30 years ago that caused him to be ostracized is now taken up as the fighting principles of, of change now. That's right. And, and that photograph is one of the most powerful photographs and i hope people really find that photograph and really look don't even don't just look at it because it 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 is so loaded and you have so many images that uh touch on economics touches on poverty touches on intelligence touches on you know talent you know all environment and um do you go into the photograph thinking of what you want to capture or does it is it a combination or is it something that is organic like how how does that come about it's pretty much it's it's a combination of things you know some of them what you call decisive moments mm-hmm. you know and, and it's just situations that happen like the photograph in front of us a young uh, muslim brother holding the, the, the final <laughs> call merchants of death you know, I'm on 125th Street and I see this young soldier with the paper. And then in the background, I see a an older gentleman who has fallen victim to addiction. Mm-hmm. So it's things that you see. For me, I carry a camera everywhere I go. It's out. It's set for any given moment. And and I rely on my third eye and, and, and just guidance. And I just walk a path and I feel that I'm on a divine path that I'm placed in different situations to see things with the ability to freeze that moment in time and use that moment as an educational piece. 
And and that's what my work is really about. I consciously leave my house always observing because photographers are observers. Mm-hmm. And I'm always looking and I feel that everything happens for a reason. Things I'm supposed to see. I might My subconscious mind may tell me to go left instead of right. And then I see something that was necessary for me to see and freeze for future generations. So I, I put a lot of thought into what I'm doing because I feel that my work is revolutionary and I want my work to inspire. So I'm constantly seeking to create images that could that could inspire hope and promise. If I see a couple in love with each other and I can see that it's apparent that they love each other and I approach them, I say, excuse me with all due respect, I can tell that you two love each other. I said, it's so important and I captured love in a time of so much hate. So, and I said, this photo, if you allow me to take this photo, it's going to mean so much. When I see the father on the bus with his two daughters, it's important for me to freeze that moment in time because it allows young fathers to, to, to let them know that they're not alone, that there's mm. others out there who are struggling to be fathers to raise their children. So I put a lot of thought process in what I do. And there's, sometimes there's dreams, mm-hmm. like the photograph that we have in front of me of, of, of a blood and crypt playing chess. Mm. That was rooted in a dream because <laughs> I want to create, I was paying behind the gang violence. And I thought about how so many young men lost lost their lives based off the colors they were wearing. So as a person who plays chess and look and chess as a form of warfare, I, I had this dream about two opposing enemies playing chess with each other but on the on, on the chessboard both pieces are black so no one can move so I realized and I woke up in the middle of the night and I wrote it down that's how mm. to create this image and if I could create this image it can serve as a a, a, a a conversation piece for those who are involved in game culture so I needed to create a piece that could speak to them when I do presentations mm-hmm. so this is a combinations, combination of things which I do to uh, create work that's going to make a difference and like I said some of it is spontaneous and others is just like a lot of thought I put into it I said what can I do to save our people Mm -hmm. when I step into the street I have to create something that's special I just left Howard University a few days ago and I was on uh, the track and what amazed me about that experience was you know you had you had uh you had the football team a girls football team you had a male football team you had the band and you had the cheerleaders all in the same space practicing and I said, this is a very powerful moment because we're at a, a prominent university and you're seeing uh, black excellence at its best. And I said, this is a very important moment to capture. And I captured it, freezing this moment in time, both showing the history of Howard University at the same time and sharing it now. I'm showing young people and I'm showing the world that, you know, all black people are not downtrodden, uneducated, <laughs> no hopes, no dreams. In this one frame alone, it's a prolific image that is one of the most important photographs I've taken this year because within inside the frame, you have all these different elements going on. So I put a lot of thought into what I do because, you know, and I, and I meditate and I, I pray for clarity in terms of my role as an artist. I need to have clarity. And it's like I get these blessings where I see things that I need to see and freeze for future, not only to inspire the next generation, but to also get these images into institutions where it will be preserved. Yes. And now more and more people can see them and learn from them. And like what's important to me is brotherhood. You know, I was at the Smithsonian the other day and I felt good to see another important photograph that I took of two black men shaking hands with each other. You know, and I call that photograph, we must first be brothers. How, how, how much uh, did the Smithsonian uh, display of, of, of some of your stuff? They displayed about maybe five particular pieces in mm-hmm. their, their various exhibitions, mm-hmm. but then I have stuff in books with inside their bookstore, mm-hmm. and then I have work within their archive that they have a tendency to rotate periodically. Okay. So I donated a lot of my work to, their, to that institution because I feel that that's where my work belongs. Well, Not in galleries, but in institutions, institutions. of higher learning where mm-hmm. we preserve and would outlive me. You, you, um, 
That's very important. And it goes back to, we was having a discussion. Me personally, I think um, what we as a community is lacking is the control of our ecosystem and education being one of the most important elements. And, yes. that, and that's a part of it. You know, we need to design the curriculums. We need to create the cultural defaults and, and value systems so that uh, our, our people can rely on not relying on something that that's that's an, an, an intrusion in, into your space but you know what something is is really important and i i spend a lot of time there i've, I've been spending 21 years in my life now um going back and forth to prisons federal and state prisons how how was your experience in the correctional system as an officer um affected you as a person and as an artist? Wow, that's a that's a great question. First, I have to say that um, me becoming a correctional officer was like a divine assignment. Mm -hmm. It was something that I was destined to do because that's where the work needed to be done at. Prior to working in the system, you know, I uh, when I first came over in the Army, one of the first jobs I got, I worked at a men's shelter on Ward's Island. That was mm -hmm. an incredible experience, and that allowed me to see just how deep this thing was. We're talking about like 81, 82. It's like, mm -hmm. wow, we have a problem. So... Uh, when I uh, decided, you know, my father, you know, instructed me to take the various civil service examinations, which is really a transition when people come home from the mm -hmm. military. You know, you go into civil service. And I took a number of tests, uh, post office, transit, but corrections called me and I embraced it because I said that's where the work needs to be done. Prior to becoming a correctional officer, I had read the prison letters of George Jackson. Mm -hmm. I learned about James Carbad. Mm -hmm. I knew about the Attica Rebellion. Mm -hmm. I knew about the... Uh, 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 African-American soldiers incarcerated both in Vietnam and in Mannheim, mm -hmm. Germany. So I knew that there was a lot of people that I knew that I needed to be there because that's where the work needed to be done at. I reflected on Malcolm being incarcerated and how he got now to self and was able to transform his life. So I went into corrections with the determination to save our people. And when I got to my facilities, that's where the people were at. Mm -hmm. Brothers I knew from the street were locked up and mm -hmm. good brothers. Mm -hmm. So I realized that I needed to be there to feed them, to give them the ammunition to help them survive. And I said to them, the brother, I need your help, you know, to help raise up our people in here. Because now we are locked up in a situation where you can't really go nowhere. So this is a perfect incubator to save our people. But I went in and it was very difficult for yeah. me because... I can th imagine the system wasn't... That's not what the system is about there. So supervisors or colleagues were probably looking at you like, what, what are you doing? It was mixed emotions, you mm -hmm. know, for some supervisors. Because uh, mind you now, there was a lot of supervisors who came from the Nation of Islam, the mm -hmm. Panther Party, uh, different black nationalist organizations. So they knew. So mm -hmm. they got city jobs to survive, them, to survive themselves. So in a sense, when they saw me, they saw someone that came from the community that was going to make a difference. And there was others, the opposition, you know, who looked at me as a problem because their thing was suppressing. Mm -hmm. You know, we're going to, this is not about rehabilitation. This is about straight up punishment. And they had no love for the people, but mm -hmm. I didn't care because these were my people. Mm -hmm. And it was a very difficult situation. Again, we go back into the double consciousness. Here, I have on a uniform, but then I'm connected with the community. So I had to try to navigate through this situation. Like, you know, it was a book that a police officer once put out called, a black police officer called Black Skin, Blue Coats. Mm. And it dealt with black police officers back in the 1960s. So that book served as a guide for me to help me navigate through this. But I had to save my people. But it was difficult because a lot of young people were already traumatized behind foster care and the group homes mm -hmm. and, and PTSD of the streets. 
So reaching them was difficult. And then it was then I was looked upon by many of those incarcerated as the enemy. So it was constant battling every day. The administration looked at me to, as an enemy to a degree. But at the same time, I stood firm on my square with a determination to make a difference. It was people like like like, like Rico and, and Michael Warren. Yeah, mainly Warren. Michael Warren, who yeah, was my example, who came mm-hmm. to my facility all the time. And through his eyes and his 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 spirit alone, he reminded me that I was He's on the right path yeah, and Mike I needed to do this work. That's right. And he was there early on for me so people like that helped remind me of what I needed to do and it was it was time he's it in was Atlanta now very good yeah he moved in Atlanta he, he, he kind of shut down the practice but a powerful brother understood because he, he made a difference in my life yeah he reached out to me early on in my career he seen me on trial and befriended me and we've been we've been cool Ever since, wow, he Powerful was brother. he was my angel, brother. Because yeah. without him, I don't know where I would be. Because it, it got to the point where in, in in '83 when I came on, when crack first hit, it was difficult. Because mm-hmm. I'm there and I'm watching the destruction of my community as I'm trying to to encourage these young brothers to to uphold the banner of righteousness. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing the violence at the same time. I'm looking at the inhumanity that men would inflict upon each other, the stabbings, the slashings. Yeah, but. I the, persevered the buck 50s and all these yeah, yeah all of that all but, of it but I had Tony Brown mm-hmm. I had you know I, I in, 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 surrounded myself by consciousness when I left the job mm-hmm. you know I went to the temple to keep me focused to be around positive people because it was very difficult you know I have to say it was hard it's mm-hmm. bittersweet when you go into an atmosphere and, and you speak to, to, to these young detainees for the first time you introduce yourself you know as an officer I'm here to make things work and as soon as you go walk out to sign your book there's a mass slashing mm-hmm. you know you go on vacation and come back and these brothers that you were mentoring raped the kid mm-hmm. you know for no reason you know what I mean so I was encountering a lot of that so it was very difficult but again you know I kept my faith because I realized that I that I had a job I had to do and the Million Man March gave me my second win mm-hmm. uh, going to the African Street Festival gave me my second win because it gave me hope because there's times I would leave that job very frustrated it's mm-hmm. the music that fed my soul and, and reminded me of my job but I have to say it was one of the most challenging and rewarding jobs in my life because there was times in which I felt like my efforts were for naught and then I would <laughs> see brothers on the street that told me that I inspired them brothers that tell me brother you gave me this book to read that I don't remember I said brother I don't remember you because I always gave brothers book to read, book, <laughs> books to read and he said brother but Jamel you know you gave me books to read and you encouraged me and you used to do push ups with me and oh, I said bro I'm sorry I can't, but I did that with so many people but it makes me feel good to know that I did plant seeds and brothers were able to transform and even young brothers I mentored who, would, who did like 25 years in prison I would send them photographs and brothers would tell me brother it's the photographs that you sent us it gave us hope and I might have given them, I might have provided one particular brother with the photographs but he was Shared with the brothers within housing areas, and those photographs upstate would give them now, hope and, those, and allow and they, them to survive. And and as we we mentioned in the earlier conversation, the, the jails are a um, are bastion of information. Yes, things spread around. Um, if we could get enough positive stuff in there, it will go around. But I know currently the right the the correctional system is at a it's at a impact it's at a crossroads right now. Um, there's not many people of Jamel Shabazz's uh, character and integrity even in positions of, of, of uh, influence there anymore. Um, and the federal systems are much more different than the state systems. The state systems still hold the most uh, bodies, but it's, 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 they're going through a transition right now. And it's going to be interesting to see how... Um, the next generation of officers who actually care about the community are going to navigate. 
Um, there's some things in play. Um, you know, I want to talk to you about also, you have a show coming up. Yeah, standing on the square. Standing on the square. I know we know what that means, but what what is what is the inspiration of that that title? Well, what's interesting about that show is that I didn't come up with the title. Oh, you didn't. And, and normally I do. Yeah, it sounds like that sounds like you did. To my surprise, the curator of Professor Myra Green, she came with that title. You know, her husband was a mentor of mine for over years. I mean, he's really one of the key individuals to help guide me throughout my life. But it's his wife who appreciates my work and understands my purpose. She came up with that. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, I mirrored that, that, that title with Still I Rise. Mm-hmm. So as a conscious woman from the black arts movement, she wanted to give me a show that could serve as a torch light for the community. And she got it. She wanted to show the pride and dignity. So I'm very grateful for her, you know, for seeing the value of my work in this very critical time mm-hmm. and to come up with a title that really resonates with what I'm about. Because, mm-hmm. you know, for many years of my life, we stood on the square. We, 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 we want to be steadfast and conscious and, and, and firm in our beliefs. So this show really represents that. And I say it's probably one of the most important shows of my lifetime right now because I finally have a curator who truly understands my vision Mm. I'm going back to a neighborhood where my father was born, Crown Heights. Mm -hmm. So it's very special for me to to go into that particular area and use this, this, this exhibition as a platform to bring people together who I've met throughout my life. So, you know, the work itself is going to serve as a magnet. It's going to bring people together both in unity, but also in conversation. Mm. So it's a very important show for me. And I said, if I never were to do a show again, Standing on the Square would be that show that would define my career. Wow. It, um, what where's the uh, imagery from? What period? It's it's a combination. It's going back to to the early eighties, mm-hmm. but it's it's also dealing with today. Okay, it's dealing with different cultures. You know, the Rastafarian community, the Native American community, the Vietnam veteran, civil servants. It's mm-hmm. a combination of people who are represented in this particular body of work. And uh, it's 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 a very the work is very close to my heart. Again, it's a part of a visual diary, but it represents hope. It's something that we need right now. That visual medicine. So uh, the show will be up for a month, and and uh, there's a catalog that's going to come with it, and we hope to make it a traveling show. In addition to convert the show the the the, the work into a larger body of work in, t- in terms of a book mm-hmm. called Stand on the Square. So I think it's going to create a lot of conversations and hopefully you know spark uh, younger people to want to pick up the camera as a tool of revolution or just a tool of of, of activism. Mm-hmm. And, and that's you think that that will be the next uh, Jamel Shabazz. Uh, publication oh, that no we're going to be purchasing? It. it is. It will be standing on the square. There's standing no doubt the behind that. We already have everything in place right now. It's necessary. Mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and I think it's a book that we need to have for our children because I feel blessed to have been given this task to document this work because my work belongs to the people. Mm-hmm. You know, Having it for myself is, is not, it's not about that. It's about getting work out in books so those books can go into the homes of people. They can go into libraries, institutions. So that part of our history is preserved. So I just feel that uh, the work I've been assigned to do is a very important work to make sure that our history and culture or an aspect of our history and culture is preserved. Yeah, we're going to be there. And actually, it's, it's coming out... Um it's premiering the thirteenth, and it's yes. going for like a month, right? Yes. And we, we, you know, our, our Brooklyn Combine mentoring program um, is starting in about a couple of weeks, and okay. that's going to be one of the first places that we bring the kids out. Very good. Um, to, to check that out. Um, have you thought about teaching ever? I think I've been. Well, teaching. You already been I'm teaching. already doing. <laughs> You're teaching, but yes. formally, formally. No, teaching. I, I can't. Not that I can't, mm-hmm. but uh, I. 
I like the way in which I teach now through okay. social media because that's a very important platform because mm-hmm. now it's giving me an opportunity to teach and share my vision throughout the universe right now. And, and my, my feed is all about education. Mm-hmm. If we look deep into it, I'm yeah. trying to educate through Absolutely. photographs and music and statements. So not on that level. I think that right now, you know, I have to teach through my artwork, through putting out the books and mm-hmm. having the exhibitions and, and the lectures and all that. That's my platform right now. To be tied into a particular space and time doesn't quite work for me right mm-hmm. now. But participating in documentaries and book collaborations is my way of teaching by having my work shown. I know we, we on a daily basis, we're reminded of the power, power of your work. Literally, um, every day, mm. someone stops walking by the combine and the, and, the, and the design company and the law practice, marveling at one of the p- picture in particular that you took that you generously uh, allowed the combine to, to um, display. Um, and every day, right, Phil? Mm-hmm. Somebody? Mm-hmm. Somebody. Um, Jamel, this is, um, for us, you, you're very important to us. We've been wanting to do this for a long time. Grateful. You, you, um, you know that, and I and we we're cognizant of your time, um, and and what you're continuing to do. Um, you are inspiration for what we're continuing or trying to continue the legacy of what you started, just in a, in a, in a different format. Um, and uh, this has been a, a pleasure. And likewise, brother. And I have to say that I commend you, brothers, for all the great work that you are doing with the combine mm-hmm. to bring people together to educate. It's inspiring to me. It represents hope. So I'm just delighted to know that the younger generation has picking up the mantle and they're moving forward with great drive and determination. So I salute you, brothers. And I salute your audience. And as I always say, the harvest is ripe, but the labor is few. You know, we have a lot of work that we need to do. And uh, it's vital right now. We may not get this opportunity again. You know, we're right. losing ground. We're at war right now. Mm-hmm. It's spiritual warfare going on. It's the physical war mm-hmm. going on. So uh, we need all hands on deck right now. We have to bring back the love and the unity like never before. You're right. You know, so, uh, you know, it's just important work. So once again, I, I'm honored to have an opportunity to share these few minutes, you know, with, with you and your audience in hopes that, you know, something I say might might offer some form and of I, inspiration. You, you, those who are listening, you can't. Uh, obviously, you're not here, but... To really see where we're sitting at and looking at the 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 photographs, um, the pictures, the books, the history. the history, the history of where we're at right now is just it's incredible. Um, we may not want to leave. We might have to get a sleeping bag and it's rock all out good. of here. Your brothers could always come <laughs> and, here. And, you know, you and have a home here. You've always welcomed us, and and that's very important. And we 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 respect that. Um, and and we're gonna keep keep this thing going. Okay. Salute, salute to you.